Right, for Devil in the Detail this week, I'm delighted to say we've we've been joined by Mike Latham, a director, media and communications director, and legendary broadcaster, and uh, now working at Lee Centurions, and he's also their club historian. Uh, nice to meet you, Mike. Yeah, thank you. You're very kind. I wouldn't say I was a legendary, but it's very nice of you to say so. And you also wrote wrote many books, and uh, you know done a lot of, lot for Lee and a lot of fantastic broadcasting over the years. You are really obsessed with this this great game of rugby league, aren't you? Yeah, it's funny really. It started. Uh, I just left school in the uh, late seventies, and uh, I was I was looking at uh, trying to find out the first league game I ever went to. Uh, so I wandered into Hilton Park one day uh, during the week. John String was there in that top office, and uh, I just said, uh, "Have you got any records of you know going back to the uh, late sixties? Uh, just want to find out about a few games." And he said, "We don't have any records. We don't keep any records." So that was the kind of spark, really. Um, Ever since then, I, I made it uh, my work to sort of build up the club's records. So I spent all my holidays uh, from school and then at university in, in libraries, uh, going back through the old microfilms, the old newspapers, uh, recreating uh, all the all the games and, and, and the reports from league games. Uh, it became a, an obsession, really. You go back to 1895, the start of the Northern Union, uh, and then... I went back even further to the club's formation in, in 1878, um, researched every game, uh, got the teams, the scorers, and then tried to find a little more detail about um, some of the people involved. It's, it wasn't the easiest thing. Uh, for example, you'd, uh, you'd suddenly uh, find that some papers were missing either. They hadn't been filmed properly on the microfilm or maybe the newspapers were on strike. There were one or two occasions in the last hundred years where newspapers went on strike for various reasons so you had to kind of fill in gaps elsewhere so I've been to about a hundred libraries over the country uh, trying to uh, to find uh, missing details um, of various games uh, there was a period in the late 36 weeks uh, I was talking to uh, the great Tommy Sale one day and uh, he just happened to remark that uh, he had the old wages books going back to the 30s that he brought with him from Mother Lane when Lee moved ground during the war years. And sure enough, in those uh, far-off uh, wages books, it had the weekly wages paid to the players. And you could see which players had played in the particular games uh, by the uh, the wages that had been paid because they were only paid on match terms. So uh, gradually, he's kind of filling the gaps and it becomes a bit of an obsession, really. I mean, one of the other problems was it was only sort of in the, uh, the mid-60s that... Um, people used to re- uh, report and give the player's first name. So you'd have someone score a hat-trick, uh, but it would just say, give his initials, so it would be A. Jones scored a hat-trick or whatever. So you, 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 you've got to try and find Christian names. So um, in the days when David Oxley and uh, David Hauser at the Rugby League at Chapeltown Road, uh, they were absolutely fantastic help to people like myself. Used to be able to go in there and, and go through all the uh, the rugby league archive and if you signed a player say in 1908 it would give his address so they'd sign uh, say F Jones and it would give his address so once you've got that address uh, you can then go to the electoral roll in the particular town and then get his Christian name from there uh, so it becomes a bit like Inspector Morse really that, there, was, there was one player they signed from Ghoul and uh, I've been trying to find his Christian name for ages, couldn't find it. So one day I had a day off work and I drove to Ghoul Library uh, on a Wednesday afternoon to uh, to find this particular player. And uh, it was shut, it was early closing. <laughs> it was shut. <laughs> it was long, long before uh, the internet and stuff like that. So uh, I had to go again, but I got it in the end. So yeah, a bit of a, bit of a labour of love, it kind of developed from there. Uh, I started uh, do, obviously doing Lee. And then I got to know, I knew a lot of the players and I went to, similar to how you do, go and see past players. And fortunately I've recorded uh, a lot of the interviews I had. And sort of in the 80s I um, I I spoke to a lot of Lee players who played, say, in the 1920s and 30s, recorded uh, their interviews. Uh, So I've got players there who, who played. There was one player called Albert Blackburn who was born in 1898 and his father... Uh, John Blackburn uh, played for Wigan and Lee in the early days of the Northern Union. 
So he was able to tell me what it was like in the 1890s and the 1900s as a player and his own playing career in the 20s and the 30s. There's another guy who played uh, for Swinton and, uh, and for Lee called Jack Kenny. Uh, I remember going and seeing him at his house in Pendlebury and he, uh, he, he told me what it was like to play for Lee in the 30s. Uh, another bloke called George Hayes, who was a Lee fullback in the 30s. So he then built up an archive of... of uh, and it, it brings stats and, and reports to life, really, because once you, you know a player, or he, 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 he makes it a lot more relevant, really. And then from, uh, from that uh, kind of grew uh, an interest in other clubs. I did all Wigan's research. Uh, I did the Wigan Heritage numbers a few years ago. I did Wigan Highfield. I researched Runcorn. And you, you kind of get links with other historians like at Salford, uh, Graham Morris, who's done so much fantastic work over the years, John Edwards at Swinton. Uh, you make friends all over the country who help one another. And finally, uh, you, you get it coming to fruition as leaded in 2014 when we have the heritage numbers and just over 1,400 players have played for Leeds since 1895 and uh, they're all recorded, they've all got their own heritage number. The, the really gratifying and pleasing thing for me is that when you sign a new player, um, they want to know what the heritage number will be and all the league players have the heritage numbers on the front of the shirts and it's, it's a source of real pride to them. Uh, Leo just signed Daniel Mortimer so uh, he'll be getting his heritage number hopefully uh, very shortly and uh, Sammy Sony Lange and it's amazing when they, they're in the 1400s now with the heritage numbers so it's amazing for them to think that 1400 players have preceded them in the league side but whether you played one game or you played 503 games as Albert Worrell did you've got something in common you know, a huge source of pride that you've represented, Lee. You must have seen some some good times watching watching Lee. I know Lee and Salford are sort of on the upper bit now, but you know they've lived in the shadows of like Wigan, the Leeds, and Saint Helens. But you know there was a time when certainly Lee and, and Salford in the mid seventies and Lee in the early eighties, where where Salford and Lee were the, were the top dogs, weren't they? Yeah, I had some fantastic times watching Salford. I used to get the old thirty eight bus uh, from Fallen Ends, and Salford are always like my second team. So in the, the late 70s and early 80s, I had some fantastic, uh, particularly on a Friday night at the Willows, watching some of that Salford side. I mean, that that was probably the best, the most entertaining side I've ever seen, uh, irrespective of, of watching Lee or any other club. That Salford side, you had Paul Charlton, who's probably the best fullback I've ever seen. He was a fantastic attacking player, but so brave in defence as well. Just brilliantly read again. You had uh, Keith Fielding, an explosive player on the right wing. Maurice Richards, vastly underrated uh, winger on, on the left wing. Two great centres, uh, David Watkins, Chris Hesketh. Two very different types of players, but fantastic rugby league centres. And then uh, Kenny Gill, uh, Steve Nash. That, that's a pretty good back line. That, that, that was, how would that do in Super League now, that back line? It was always a great shame that Salford had some great forwards like Mike Coolman, Colin Dixon. Um, but they never quite just had that forward strength they needed to really push for honours. Um, they had some championship success. But it was it, it was always um, a great shame that that great Salford side you know, never reached Wembley, which they would have really graced Wembley with that side. Uh, and that's why I hope Salford you know, do achieve the Wembley goal uh, this year. But, it would uh, kind of mean an awful lot to to those guys and you know the current generation of Salford fans. It's been a bit of a mixed bag this season. We're looking at Salford and looking at Lee. Or Salford are doing quite well at the top. Lee, Lee is struggling a bit. But they've, how have you how have you found Lee's season this this time? Well, I suppose it's all about staying up now and, and surviving. But yeah, you, you've, not, you've done yourselves proud though in a, in a certain way. You've had some good victories. Along yeah, the way. it's been brilliant to get be back involved in Super League after you know a long time away from it. Um, you look at, um, I mean, Derek Beaumont is, is the person who's made it all possible. His investment uh, in the club, not only uh, on the field but off the field, with the, the backroom staff and the infrastructure that you need to be in Super League, and some of the the players that we've got. I think the thing that brought it home to me really is it, the standard of Super League and just the standard required to survive at that level. Lee, in, in terms of player ability and some of the players that Lee have got in the side, you have to pinch yourself that. 
players of that quality and standing are playing for the club. And yet, results-wise, obviously we've struggled, uh, as a lot of teams do in the first year back in Super League. Salford, they came so desperately close to losing um, the Super League status last year, which would have been absolutely catastrophic. And it, it, it's absolutely fantastic to see the way that Salford have um, blossomed in, in Super League this year. I think the eights was a, a great way. It gave Lee an opportunity to get into Super League. And looking back, how they achieved that last year was an amazing achievement to do what they did and, and beat three Super League sides in the eights and, and qualifying the way they did. But on the other side of things, as a, as a director and, and seeing the planning for the club, this kind of uncertainty that any club has that's in the bottom four, it, it's not really good uh, long term for you planning. Um, Salford are in the fortunate position that they know they're going to be in Super League next year and hopefully they'll, they'll, they'll build on the, their achievements so far, get to Wembley and, and hopefully achieve things in the playoffs, which would be fantastic. But they can go out and sign the players like they just recently signed a guy from uh, Newcastle, Daryl Alberts, and uh, a number of other long-term contract signings they've made, knowing that they've got that stability now. Whereas uh, with ourselves, we know that we're in for a, a very nervous uh, time. Hopefully, you know everything will be okay. But um, we know that uh, August and September are going to be equally as nervous and, and nerve-shredding as they were last year. And it's only really when you get to the end of September that we can start planning for 2018 and beyond. And I think that that's the big thing about rugby league now is that, that kind of uncertainty. Uh, it does affect... You need opportunity. You need the ability to go to rise the clubs that um, have, have got the potential. But also, if, if, say, Lee were to lose the Super League status, just to say if Salford had lost it last year, it would have been uh, catastrophic, really, for, for those particular clubs so you, you've got to kind of balance the good and the bad, haven't you, really, uh, for, for the good of the game. I'm not quite sure we've got the balance right yet. Sorry. Yeah, obviously, you know, Lee back in back in the Super League. Have, have you kind of seen it, the club kind of grow in the community a bit more, being playing at the top level? Yeah, I mean, Lee's always been a rugby league town, um, irrespective of how the club's... With Lee, over his history, has had some very successful times but also sometimes a desperate struggle and lots of mediocre times. Throughout it all, Lee's all, always been the focal point of sport in, in the community. Lee's one of the few places, as you know, in the country, one of the few towns in the country where rugby league's the dominant sport. You go around Lee now on a Sunday morning and the number of uh, kids that are playing the game at the amateur clubs, Lee Miners and Lee East, and, and further afield at a place like Goulburn, is fantastic. And we're very fortunate to have that. Um I hope we never lose that because um, rugby league faces a lot of challenges as a game, particularly um, the involvement of young players and the, the, the pool of players at the ages 14, 15, 16, how we develop our, our players for the future. It, it faces a lot of challenges. Going in Super League, I, I think the standard is incredibly high. I think the demands on the players are, are very uh, substantial. To, I, I still think 30 league games with the intensity of, of Super League the way it is, with the cup games and the playoff games on top, is too many. Um, but overall, it's been a fantastic experience. And far removed from when Derek first got involved in the club, because really then um, we were a, a championship club, averaging crowds 12, 1,400. And there was no way you could really see Lee progressing um, into Super League uh, at that time. But through his investment... Uh, and his, his vision, uh, they were able to to bridge that gap because a lot of the clubs you're now competing with, they've had the benefit of Super League money for 20 years. Uh, they've been able to build their infrastructures, particularly on the youth development side and all the other kind of things you need to develop a club. Whereas you've got to get things right on the pitch to get into Super League and then build the infrastructure around it. And hopefully Lee, uh, if we do stabilise in Super League, over the course of the next two, three, four years, we'll be able to uh, build that infrastructure and really build the club uh, more and more, which uh, would benefit um, rugby league as a whole um, massively. You certainly seem to be making a lot of progress. I mean, the Lee Sports Village is a fantastic facility. 
I think how, how would you say Leeds crowds have come on since you've come into Super League I mean your crowds have, I mean last season in the Championship were really good and you seem to have that heartland of, of support then I mean we'll probably go on after to talk about Salford's struggles this season there's been a lot put on the crowds and our attendances and how, how do you feel yours how do you feel you can grow or do you think you, you're doing well at the moment it's a massive thing, isn't it, when you leave a, a much-loved old ground that a lot of people have great memories of and have got of, um, a lot of links. I mean, if you look at Salford fans, um, most Salford fans, it, it's generations of families. So you go back to the Willows days, you know, the father or the grandfather would have gone to the Willows. When you suddenly up and, and move to a new ground, it's a massive upheaval for everybody. And I think Lee suffered from that in that leaving Hilton Park... Uh, going to Lee Sports Village. I think it's fair to say that a lot of fans found it a fairly um, austere and, and sort of uncomforting place to go to at first. It, it, very sanitised environment, far removed from Milton Park. And it's only really in the last two or three years that it, it's be, begun to feel uh, more like home, really. The North Stand now is a, a fantastic blaze of colour. I think one thing that Lee have done really successfully over the last few years is get... Um, the community involved a lot more. Um, a vast majority of, a vast uh, proportion of um, the club's season ticket holders are uh, female and under 16, which is a, a big thing. It's no longer the preserve of um, or, or men of a certain age, which rugby league used to be uh, in the 70s. It's fantastic to see so many families involved uh, and coming to the game as a family. We, we certainly have reached out when uh, we, we did a lot of community uh, work and uh, in the schools. Um, a lot of the, the great thing is if you want if you want a particular player's autograph, if you go to a game, the chances are you'll be able to get that player's autograph or a photo with him before uh, you, you leave at the end of the game. And there's not many sports where you can do that. There's still rugby league players are still heroes you can touch. You can see them during the day lead train at the sports village uh, the players are always willing to have a word with anyone have photos taken they're, they're very much part of the community all the players live within a very small radius of the ground it feels like a community club where the hub of the community and I think that's a, a huge strength of Lee and something we can build on uh, over, over the years you're always going to be uh, constrained by the population of the town uh, you know Lee's a, a fairly small town really uh, you've got a lot of com- competition on, on your doorstep with Wigan, um, St Helens and Warrington nearby and then football is a massive uh, thing as well uh, but I think yeah, I think we're making progress, I think we're building up our core support, certainly got great loyalty, took a thousand fans to France at the week uh, last uh, for the Catalan game which was uh, absolutely brilliant uh, and uh, overall we're making progress but like in anything, you know, you, you can never rest on your laurels. You've got to always build uh, for the future. I was just going to mention that the Catalan game. I got home from work and watched the second half and I was sat on my couch with my kids and we were cheering, we were cheering <laughs> Leon and we were absolutely good when Catalan scored at the end. And I was saying to, to my kids, look how many league supporters there behind the goal. It was a fantastic following and you certainly did, you, you know, you did self-proud over there. It was a disappointing result. Is it? I think you've got Warrington this week away from home. That's going to be another another tough game. You look at the way they've handled the move from Wilderspool and... Halliwell Jones, um, that does feel like their own stadium. I think when they've sort of set the benchmark. We spoke about this a few times, yeah. yeah, about how they've adapted to it. And I think they've had, they've built on that with a move, and I think they've had a bit of success and, and Wembley trips. And for us as Salford supporters, I think we're sort of clinging onto that hope. If we can get to Wembley this yeah. season, that might give us that that boost that, that Warrington have had. I think it becomes it's an identity for me. When you get like into a new stadium, you need to be able to to build your identity around it. Obviously, a lot of. Um, talk about our Salford and Manchester uh, thing um, obviously Lee is a big rugby league town you know everyone buys into it um, what's your thought on the, on the Salford-Manchester de- uh, decision? Well my my thoughts would always be based on history and, and sort of a, what you might term an old fashioned view I mean Salford's a fantastic rugby league club incredible history um, been involved in the Northern Union since the second season in 1896 had a great tradition as a union side. You look back at, you go on YouTube and look at those old Mitchell and Kendall, uh, Mitchell and uh, Kenyon films. There's a fantastic one of, of Salford in 1901 at the old New Barnes ground. And you look at all the supporters there, um, 
working class people, huge pride in the team. Um, amazing sense of community watching that film. It was like that the Willows. Salford's a very proud city in its own right. If Lee ever changed the name to uh, another town, um, it just wouldn't work. And I think the same, uh, in my opinion, Salford, you've got to preserve um, tradition, history, and, a, and, the, and the name of a very proud uh, club. That would be paramount for me um, in any sort of consideration. Yeah, as a Salford supporter, I mean, I find it a really scary thought, you know, thinking perhaps next season there won't be a Salford, it'll be a Manchester. And just yesterday I was looking at a lot of old photographs that uh, Mike Coomer had lent to me, my dad, and you see some of the old pictures of the Willows and the packed crowds and all the history there in, in, in sort of Mike's life in those books that he's lent us. And, you know, all the way through from sort of 1967 to the early 80s, that sort of period in the club's history, you, you think that's going to be jettisoned. It's, it's, it's a really worrying worrying thing as a Salford supporter. Yeah, I just hope that uh, Salford can get to Wembley this time and I remember the heartbreak of, of 98 when uh, losing to Sheffield. That, that, you wonder then, you know, you, you look back at pivotal times in the club's history. If Salford had, had got to Wembley in 98, would, you know, would, would, would things have worked out differently for them? I'd, maybe that would have been a, a kind of stimulus to um, really, you know, continuing to build the club up. I, I agree with you. I think if, if Salford can get to Wembley now in 2017... You start to build your own tradition, your own memories, don't you, around the current side. And it, hopefully it will give everyone a, a huge boost and a huge impetus. Um, and the Salford players who, if they got to Wembley, they'd be heroes forever, wouldn't they? Uh, those 17 players. Yeah, just going back to 98, I mean, I, I still, we still have nightmares about 98. And all my dad does as well. It was, a, it, was a, it, was a, it was a terrible, it was, a, it was a good game. It was just a terrible ending. And I remember walking out of Edinburgh feeling numb that day. And I think it did take our club a long time to recover from that because before that game, we were sort of doing well that season. And eventually we ended up finishing second bottom, I think. And they made a few mediocre years after that until we got relegated. And then we came back in 2003. And just going to the 2003 season, we were going to mention that because I think we played Lee 7. We had a fantastic rivalry with Lee that, that season. And I, re- I remember that really well. And at, at that time, I think Lee and Salford were two teams that were, that were on the up. Is that a time you remember, obviously? Yeah, I mean, one of the best... One of the best times, one of the best seasons I've enjoyed uh, watching rugby league as a whole was was '97. Um, I saw what I saw for that time, uh, the first year in Super League, that side that Andy Gregory put together. Uh, they weren't necessarily uh, great individual players, but they, they really worked as a team. Um, you look at I was talking to Steve Blakeley the other day, he's now the Wigan physio, and he agreed with me. He sort of said, you know, that was probably his most enjoyable uh, time involved in rugby league. Uh, Mark Lee's a friend of mine who. Salford through and through is a you know a great uh, scrum half. Uh, you have players like Scott Naylor, Darren Rogers, Fattis Broadbent, uh, and then Peter Edwards, the Kiwi. He was uh, what a fantastic player Peter, Peter Edwards was. Um, it, it's a, I think if Salford had got to Wembley in '98, the impetus of that team, I think it would have really built up. And as you say, it took them quite a while then to recover. Um, they've done really well, haven't they, uh, to sort of stabilise in Super League with the resources that they have overall they owed a lot obviously to, to John Wilkinson over the years for his incredible patronage and um, it's always, it always seems to have been a, uh, a real struggle um, with so much competition around um, you, you can't build up um, gates and, and tradition overnight can you, moving to a new ground it's something that takes uh, a long time hopefully um, as you say get to Wembley and it'll breed a, a new sort of generation of Salford fans too. Because if you look at the Salford fans who go, you wouldn't get a more loyal or committed bunch of people, would you? No, it's a bit like Lee. I think Lee, yeah. and Lee are the same, aren't they? I think we've we sort of, um, what's the word? We're like the poor neighbours to sort of Wigan and St. Helens and, and teams like that, aren't we? So you've got to have a, a thick skin to be a Lee supporter and a Salford supporter, Rob. Yeah, it's, I say it's tough, but that's what it's all about. You follow your team through thick and thin, don't you? Make magic memories. Uh, obviously, the million pound game for us last year was the mol- um, the mol- roller coaster ride of emotion on that. Obviously, you were watching that at home. Oh, uh, just, what was, what was your thoughts? Something you don't want to be in this season, Mike. I won't wish no, you on anybody. No. I hope if, if you're in, the, if you are, well, you are in the middle eights now. I just hope you get in the top three and you don't have to go through that because it's a, a nerve shredding day, Robin. Yeah, I still go back and watch those last three minutes, and I still can't believe that Salford won. I watch it quite a lot. I just, yeah. I just can't. I just can't. It was an unbelievable passage. In all the years I've watched rugby league, I've probably watched rugby league fifty years. I've never seen anything. 
I think you look back as well, you know, OKR, they had a vastly experienced side of it. People like Jamie Peacock, who, who, who you would have thought would have been experts at game management, closing a game out. It was almost like they were frozen with fear or... It was almost like it was meant to happen. Yeah. And you look back, how, how did they manage to put those passes together? I mean, Griffin played a huge part in that, didn't he? Nile Evels, um, Gareth O'Brien... Everything seemed to stick, didn't it? It's and just nothing, incredible. Some of those wrong. passes they threw out, yeah. some of the moves they put together, it was desperation stuff, wasn't it? It was all off the cuff. But it was more than desperation. It was some kind of inspiration. It was something... It was almost like um, watching it again. It's like an out-of-body experience. Yeah, it's like a film. Yeah. It's almost like a film, it, yeah. It, it's, it, it's incredible momentum. It's, it was like it was It was meant to be. It was It was just amazing. It's like it? modern sport as like it's all very sort of um, sort of marketed and all like very you know straight laced yeah. when the million pound miracle it was just it was like a fair, like you said it was a fairy tale and it was just unbelievable us living it oh I just and, I don't and, know how you got through I mean you look back at the coolest person uh, was Ian Watson wasn't yeah. it yeah. how he kept his composure throughout that uh, got a huge respect for Ian anyway but how he did that um, I think the other thing is you, you look back at that game the aftermath um, there was there was obviously jubilation but there was a kind of um, Respect. Um, all the Salford players showed a, an incredible empathy, didn't they? For, they did. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, for the Hulkins and Rovers players, um, and that I thought that was where rugby league showed that it's still. Uh, I, I get quite emotional over things like I think rugby league is just a fantastic game, and that the way Salford's players reacted to that victory showed to me the best qualities of rugby league. I thought it was. Absolutely fantastic. Just going back to Ian Watson, um, I mean, me and Rob have got huge respect for Ian, he's, he's yeah. perfect with us every week, he comes out and speaks to us and he's a smashing bloke. You know Ian quite well, don't you? You represented him as a, as a player's agent and yeah, you must be really happy with what he's done at Salford. I mean, because he, like me and Rob have said, he's had a lot of adversity, he had the six-point deduction last season, he's always got the same sort of character, he's always in the same mood and he's he's got the best out of this, this Salford side, you must be very pleased for him. Yeah, I think, he, I think the thing is with Ian, he... Um, He's steeped in rugby league, yeah. and he's always he's never had anything handed to him as a player. By his own admission, he wasn't an absolutely top class player. He was a very very good player, very consistent player, and he played his trade largely outside the top flight. But gave fantastic service to a lot of clubs. He was a great stalwart at the Welsh international side as well. He had a, a successful time at Lee, and he, he's steeped in rugby league, and he's he's seen uh, like we all have. Uh, a lot of downsides and a lot of um, he's, he's had to show in, enormous character uh, a, a lot of times throughout his career and I think those qualities and the experiences he's had uh, are serving him really well in his current role he's served a long apprenticeship uh, he's really learned his trade and uh, he's really reaping those rewards now you don't necessarily have to be an absolutely top class player to be a top class coach I think he's got a, a great understanding of what makes Salford tick, uh, what makes the club tick, what makes Salford fans tick, uh, and how to get a side together that plays for one another. Um, and uh, I remember actually, um, towards the end of his career, he actually reached 500 appearances and uh, he played at Lee uh, coming towards the end of his career and we made a, a little uh, uh, presentation to him. Uh, he was playing for Sol- uh, Swinton at the time. And, um, you know, that. That meant uh, an awful lot to him. He's really touched by that. Yeah, good bloke is Ian Watson. I think Willie Poaching's a really good bloke as well. Um, the whole the whole setup there, uh, the off field staff, um, fantastic. Really, just the way they've uh, and the way they built the side that plays for one another. It's uh, it's tremendous, isn't it? Yeah, well, we had a bit of stick in with the last few seasons about the, the signings that we've made. We've brought quite a lot of big names in, the likes of Kevin Locke and people like that. And uh, the, the guys that are there now, there, there is a few standing. I'm not going to do them a disservice. I think there are, there are some big names there. Yeah. But the vast majority of the players, I think he's getting the best out of And I think one of them that shined an example was Chris Wellham. I know a lot of supporters I speak to were quite surprised when we signed Chris. And I think we were a bit unfair on him, a few people. And I sort of said, you know, give him a chance. I think he could be a good player. And I think Ian and Willie seem to have that knack that they can get the best out of players because Chris has been, has been in outstanding form this season. I think the sign of a good coach is, is someone, I mean, someone I always allude to is maybe John Keir. 
maybe not always had the, the greatest side there, but he's a, a terrific man motivator and someone who can get the best out of the, of the tools that he's got. And I think Ian and, and Willie have done that. Yeah, he's, very he's much so. They've also got an eye for players in the lower divisions, like Chris Bryan has done been really well, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah. Uh, the player that signed from Newcastle hopefully will be a success. But I mean, some of the established players they signed from the NRL. I mean, to me, Robert Louis is like the glue that holds Salford together. I think, I think he's a brilliant player, and he's linked up with Michael Dobson. Dobson's a, uh, a bit long in the tooth now, as we all know, but he's a just brilliant player in either way. Another player who, who, who Ian alludes to as the glue that holds him. He says that to us every week. He, <laughs> he, calls Matt, he calls Matt Flanagan the glue that holds him. Yeah, and I think Mark's been been one of those, those signings really that's that's really has. Yeah, he reminds me very much of his father actually because he, yeah. he he was a. Uh, Never quite. He, he was a good player. His dad. He, he played for Great Britain and a really good Oldham side, but never an absolutely top class player. Maybe just like that, that little bit of size and and uh, and pace uh, to be an absolute top class. But what a fantastic player he was in that in that Oldham side of the eighties. You know, with people like Goodway and Mick Warrell and uh, Paddy Kerwin and uh, Ashton and people like that. Steeped in rugby league, his dad had fantastic hands. Brilliant way he could slip a ball. It great rugby brain. You see a lot of those qualities in his son. Just going back to the, the Oldham side of that time, I know we're moving on to other teams now, but I was watching some footage of the Oldham Australia game. I think it was at the 1986 tour. Yeah, I went to that game. At the they came very close. Absolutely packed out. And yeah, I was watching the footage the other night, and I was thinking. I mean, you look, we talk about new grounds, don't we? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's two clubs there. Well, there's Oldham and Swinton that we've both mentioned. That to me is one of the great tragedies of rugby league in the last 25 years, the way those two clubs have. Just failed uh, through not only uh, not through their own faults necessarily, but uh, just failed to to cope with losing the grand Swinton. Twenty five years since he left uh, Station Road, still a nomadic club, still got fantastic supporters who back them. But you really worry about the future for Swinton. How they keep going is a, a miracle, really. And mm-hmm. uh, same with Oldham. You know, playing now at Staley Bridge, they've had been uh, here, there, and everywhere. Losing Watersheddings, uh, the spiritual home, uh, 20 years ago. Um, still hot, but a rugby league is Oldham. Uh, but you, you really worry. We should have... Um, to lose clubs of that tradition and that history, uh, to see them struggle, uh, it's really sad. Just going on, on to another topic I'd like to speak about, and I was like the, the expansion of the game. There's a lot of rumours going around that maybe the league will be expanded to 13 teams, 14 teams next season. I suppose that ties in with that really, about you know the, the clubs from the Heartlands that are struggling financially. How do you see it as, as a supporter You know, looking at the game? Teams like Toronto coming in and perhaps Bradford Bulls being parachuting back into Super League. What's your, your take on that? I think Rugby League, uh, when it was formed um, in 1895, was based on the premise that it was only as strong as its weakest clubs and for many many years up till um, the early 70s really for a large part of the first 80 years in rugby league <clears throat> you just had the one division and that meant the lower clubs always had a visit from a Wigan or a St Helens yeah. once a season and it helped spread the money around the gra- uh, around the game uh, the transfer system as well always helped clubs and there was a kind of um, much more of a community uh, kind of spirit to rugby league in those days. A lot of uh, clubs uh, used to help that clubs like Liverpool City that struggled on for years would be helped out by other clubs loaning them players or, or, or giving them free transfer players, etc. The same in Yorkshire. I think uh, what happened uh, when Super League came in, uh, it changed uh, rugby league, uh, the mindset really. Uh, the old saying used to be all for the good of the game. But it then became all for the good of... Uh, it was a battle for survival. Uh, and, and a lot of that community spirit we had in Rugby League has gone. A lot of clubs just look out for themselves now, as they have to do. And I feel um, a lot of clubs immediately were gone professional. There was no real thought process to how you established the game as a whole. It was, it was just a, a struggle to sign the best players and spend, say, 90% of their income or more on, on players. So a lot of that money that's come into the game has just gone out in players' wages without building an infrastructure for the game. So you look now, 20 years on, um, the amateur game, which is always going to be uh, the bedrock of, of any sport, <clears throat> has declined in in uh, numbers, the number of players participating in the game. Someone told me the other day that there's only 8,000 
lads of 16 playing the game of rugby league in this country which if true I find that a staggering statistic I've not verified that but it came from a <coughs> um, reliable source if that's the case I find that really disturbing you look at um, uh, the amateur games now switch to summer um, a lot of clubs have folded a lot of clubs are struggling to put out uh, sides on a regular basis because of all the different um, uh, prob- all the different sort of competing things you have in summer and then you, you look at uh, League One and the Championship unless you've got a, a Derek Beaumont who's going to come in and, and put the money in to fund that massive improvement in playing standard that you require to have a go at Super League it's never you're never going to be there so can you a club like Barrow say which is a great traditional club with a, still got hugely committed and uh, fanatical fan base 30 years ago they they could give Salford or any of the clubs in the first division they had a spell in the first division again they'll never realistically ever you know reach those heights again Featherstone Rovers winning the cup uh, in eight. 80, in the 80s, 84, was it? 83, 84. Um, that will never happen again. So the game is now uh, much more focused into 12, 14, 16 clubs. I still think promotion should be earned by right, not by uh, the number of uh, supporters you have or your infrastructure. Um, I think we need. It, it's time for a, an overall view of the game as a whole rather than uh, individual clubs. And I think it's you know time for an overall look at the overall structure as, as to how we can build the game over the next 20 30 years not just uh, for the next year or the year after that that's a big job for the RFL <coughs> coming up obviously the last 20 years it's slowly declined but obviously with the new TV contracts hopefully coming in they might have a bit of a rethink and and build from the bottom up well you're only as strong as i think as you as your weakest link and um, you've got to have a, a structure of a game that People are playing it. That people aspire to, to move into the professional game, and then they can, you know, reach the standards. You, you, it's reach the standards that you, you sort of hit a ceiling, don't you, as a player? And you, you need to have those opportunities. I think the declining player pool, the declining participation, and the lack of incentive for clubs outside Super League to improve the lot. Um, is a massive problem for rugby league because a lot of the clubs in the championship are just clinging on, trying to retain the championship status. And just as we say that losing your Super League players can be catastrophic, you read a lot of quotes in the press from clubs like Swinton and, and Oldham that are saying that if they lost their championship players and going to Championship One, what a you know devastating blow that would be. Similar as happened in uh, in Cumbria, you know, with Workington and Whitehaven both being relegated last year and now playing uh, I mean I go to a lot of games in Championship 1 I, I enjoy rugby league at that level but it's uh, to see I was saw Workington the other week at, at North Wales Crusaders and to see a great club like that with all the tradition and history playing at that level is really sad Do you think there's a pool of players just going back to that to have 14 teams in the Super League because a lot of people will say no there's not that that talent pool there, you know, if you was to, because we've had it before, haven't we? We had fourteen teams and, and, and teams struggled at the bottom, didn't they? And then they, they got it back to, to twelve. I am not so sure there is that that talent. No, I don't think there is as well. I think the beauty of Super League this season is virtually any team can beat any other team, as Salford have proved. Have you enjoyed that sort of guard change? The yeah, I mean, if you if you look, I don't like. Uh, no one likes being involved in the losing side, and Lee have lost a lot more games than they've won this season. But in virtually every game, we've been we've been competitive. competitive yeah. There's only been two games where. Uh, we were disappointed. Uh, Castleford at home, Widnes away. Every other game been, you know, hugely competitive. If you look at our points difference compared to other clubs, uh, you know, it's, it's it, it still holds up there. And you can go into a game, you know, Salford. Um, uh, you can virtually go to any Salford game now. And you've got a reasonable chance of winning the game, haven't you? Home or away, you never. So that uncertainty of outcome, um, it, it's great. Um, I think I don't know what you think. I think thirty-two. 30 league games you know is too many I've noticed the last couple of weeks and I was saying to Rob on the podcast that I've seen like an energy shift in the players where you know we, we looked a bit tired didn't we against Wakefield and I think a lot was the rest time as well I mean Derek Beaumont's been, been great with us he's, he's moved our, our league game from the Sunday to the Friday to give us extra rest time for, for the semi-final against Wigan and I think that's a great thing for him to do but 
you do notice it sometimes, especially around the Easter period as well, and that sort of um, in May when we had the two games, you know, the, the Warrington game. It was the weekend after. Yeah, I think that's we noticed it really, it really after so. we went, the, you know, the rest and recovery time. Ian Watson talks about that, don't you know, getting the getting the bodies. You back. must see it as well as me. I mean, we're fortunate to be in a position where you do speak to players after a game, and you look at the demands they put on the body. Uh, you look at them in the aftermath of the game. Worn out when they come out sometimes. Yeah, really battered shattered. and bruised. Yeah. And then they've got to do it all again five, six days later. I mean, rugby league is a reasonably well-paid sport, but compared to other sports, it, you know, it isn't. Uh, the demands that rugby league players put on the bodies and the sacrifices they make, the training that they do just to play in a game, it, it's just incredible. I mean, rugby league, uh, its its greatest assets always have been and always will remain to be its, its players. And I think, um, I think we... If we don't look after the players, we'll do so, uh, you know, at our peril, uh, not only for their welfare but the welfare of the game as a whole. Um, to play an, an intense game, <coughs> so physically and emotionally uh, uh, demanded, uh, twice in two successive, uh, in, in, twice in, in two successive bank holiday weekends, is is uh, it's, it's not on. I don't think. Uh, you should really do that. There's all these commercial considerations, but I, I, I would prefer to see Super League if you could square it up financially with your gate money and things. I prefer to see 23, 24 games and, and then the playoffs and the cup ties. I think 30 league games is, is too many, in my opinion. I think you touched on it a bit before about promotion and, and relegation. I mean, if, if it was left to you, what would your choice be? I mean, I don't always agree with the, the top eights. I think in a 12-team league, I think, to finish ninth and then be asked to compete to stay up is a bit unfair. I mean, I think, for, to me, I think I'd have bottom team relegated, top team promoted, one up, one down. And with a playoff system, you know, perhaps a top five playoff system for the Super League, what would your, be your pre- preferred choice? Yeah. I think you've got to have that that carrot for those. I mean, particularly, and I think Featherstone had it a few years ago where they finished top numerous occasions and, and we denied that chance to get promotion. And, and Lee had to do it the hard way last season. They, they won all the games and then still had to go in a top eight playoff and, and, and did, did really well and beat three Super League sides and perhaps it, it does seem a bit, bit of an unfair challenge that to me yeah I think I would, I would, I would lean towards that uh, I, I don't think the idea of uh, you've been through it so you know what it's like the million pound game <coughs> I, I don't know if that works with the concept I, 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 uh, it's it, nice if you win but if we'd have lost that yeah. game it's, it's a, you know players have lost their jobs a sort of thing and you look at pivotal moments in a club's history. Yeah. What, what would happen to Salford if he'd lost that game? Would have been '98 all over again for me. Especially obviously, they look back at the scenario with my one no and about whether we were staying or going at the time. If it, if uh, Salford don't score in them dying seconds, and if Marwan decides to go, then we fall like a stone, don't we? And that's how, that's I suppose that's how important that moment was. Really, we, we talked about the, the semi-final in '98 and how the club sort of crashed after that, but. Think that million pound miracle kind of put us in the right direction, got us in the right way to go, and now we're in the semi final of the Challenge Cup. Obviously, played play Lee uh, this week. Uh, both important game for both sides, really. Yeah, uh, big game. Um, be interesting to see how Salford uh, approach it. Won't you know the cup tie is always going to be on your mind. It's going to be one of the biggest games in the player's career, isn't it? Salford, uh, you know, cemented uh, with a really good chance of. But, but, my my own thoughts are I agree with Lee Radford who said last year I think whoever finishes top after twenty three rounds should get the league leaders shield and then start a separate competition if you yeah. don't have the top eight start again because <clears throat> what we saw last year for example Wakefield got in the top eight brilliant achievement but they then lost all the games didn't they in the, in the last Same seven games I think they both yeah, struggled didn't they they did uh, I, I'd like to start a, a new competition then made the league leaders shield something really worth winning which I think it is a great achievement to finish top after yeah. twenty three games. I think um, it's a hard. The, the Super Eights was a great concept for Lee to get promotion. Now you're in a slightly different position. You may be looking at it slightly differently. If it's, I think if if all KR um, do manage to come back, or, or London, uh, or, or Featherstone, or, or Toulouse, or Halifax, whoever the other fourth club is, it'd be uh, be an amazing achievement for them to emulate what Lee did last season. Um, They'll certainly earn promotion the hard way, won't they? They certainly will. Going back to the semi-final, I mean, will you be attending the semi-final and supporting Salford, mate? I'll certainly be supporting Salford, yeah. Uh, Can you see us, I mean, we were talking about the day, weren't we? Wigan seem to be getting players back now and and 
I don't know whether they're putting their eggs in the basket for that, but it's going to be a tough, a really tough game against Wigan. And can you see yourself winning that one? Well, I mean, it's would you say we're going to be favourites? Yeah. <laughs> would you say we're going to be favourites for it? You know, they've it's got big game experience. Yeah, they've got they? big game experience. They've got some big game players, and, and like you say, I suspect they'll have all the, the best troops back for that game. Yeah. But I think Salford got a, a, a playing uh, style that really suits them. I think they play. Really, they play at a really composed level. They've got a really uh, good way of playing. They, they know one another's games. They're a great team. They've played together now for quite a period of time. Whereas a lot of the Wigan players, um, Wigan are capable of putting together explosive spells of, of, of play when they really string the game together. They've got some amazing, talented players if they put it all together. But I think Salford, if they keep the composure and, and they keep doing what they've done right all season, they certainly the best chance they've ever had of going to Wembley in the modern era I would say and it you look back at you know a lot of the disappointments that Salford have had uh, with Wembley wouldn't it be fantastic oh, it, 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 it's something that we, we can sort of dream about at the moment it's, it's coming round now. it's not not as so far away you know it'll be in, in, in a week's time how do you feel is it similar to the million pound game or a different type of I feeling I think for me it's a different it's a different sort of feeling uh, the million pound game was I was sort of certain we were going to lose that game. And I remember saying to my dad in the week, I, I don't think we're going to win. And I remember him, my dad saying to me with about 10 minutes to go, we was, um, we was two scores behind and he said to me, we're going to win this game. And he had that belief. And that's like Rob said before about it, sometimes is it written in the stars. And my dad said to me all season, we, we was at Hull in the, in the league game and we, we scored 50 points at Hull and the, the Challenge Cup trophy was in the reception at Hull. And my dad had his picture took there. <laughs> he didn't touch it, but he had his picture took there and he said to me... Uh, our names on that cup this season, and you know, we, we've, I want to say we've had the hardest run. We've had some home games. Yeah, we've beat Toronto, Wilkinson Rovers, which could have both been banana skins. and made a great win against Wakefield, and if we are to, to win it, we're going to have to beat Wigan, and then possibly Leeds or Hull in the final. So it would be a glorious run, but perhaps, perhaps our name, name is. It on does it. feel like it's written in the stars a bit. Especially what happened with the million pound miracle last year. It's like a film script, and it really you're going from teetering on the edge of survival to potentially. Cup final, championship winning side. It's the biggest it's game a lot of those players have ever played in their lives. Yeah. You know, someone like Gareth O'Brien, Nile Levels, um, incredible. Really, you know, you mentioned Chris Well up there. A lot of um, a lot of unsung heroes, really, in that Salford yeah. side. A lot of players who it, it shows really there is a, a, a tremendous talent in rugby league. Don't you? Gareth O'Brien could have easily, you know, drifted out of top yeah. levels. You Definitely, know, yeah. Um, Evels is a special player, isn't he? You know when he, he's, he's got that. There was a lot of rumours about Niall leaving. You'll probably know, Mike, from uh, from from reading things and, and hearing things about Niall going. And we were was delighted when when Niall decided to stay because I, I think he's one of the best players at the club. He's got that. Ex- he's got that bit about him. He's got that pace about him. And, and we say it, don't we? When Niall Evels plays for Salford, he usually comes up with a tryout. He's always in the right place. His support plays brilliant, and I think he. It's a real coup to have him staying at the club, but Ian's got this these conundrums this season. He's got three halfbacks at the, the club, which are quality, all quality and getting them in. And he's got Gareth O'Brien and Nile Levels, who are both fullbacks, really. And it's hard slotting everybody in the side. It's a real, it's a good headache, but it's a headache for all him. good sides. Have that, don't they? All good sides, good spine, and obviously with O'Brien and Evels, Dobson, Carney, uh, Rob Lewis, Flanagan, Olsey Krasnicki, you've got a, a core there. You know of, of quality, and that's what I think. You know has, has helped Salford the season. I think if I was going into the Wigan game, the biggest game I would take comfort from from a Salford fan was the way he beat Castleford earlier in the season. Yeah, I thought Watson's game plan that day was absolutely that's spot much. on, yeah. and I think he he kind of rose several echelons there as a coach. The way Castleford were you know uh, carrying on uh, all before them, were, you know beating every side of that fantastic expansive style of rugby league. And he found a way to not only manage that but contain it, but actually turn it around. And, and the way that Salford, even when they were losing, was still mm. kicking the ball into touch, slowing the game down, uh, playing the game how they wanted to play, not at, not at Castleford's pace. And I, I thought that Salford's game management and the composure that they showed and the belief in, in what they were trying to achieve, even though they were behind on the scoreboard, eventually going on to win the game. I thought you can gain a, a huge amount from that. So I, I thought that, that sort of that to me showed that I knew that Ian Watson had a, a, a big um, understanding of rugby league anyway but I thought if you're looking at one pivotal game and 
someone's coaching career. I, I thought that was it. I thought that was the day that Ian Watson really arrived as a super. When I coach. spoke to Ian after that game, he, I said to him off off the record, like, and uh, he said, "Did you have a special plan for for Luke Gale and for Castleford?" And he said, "We did. We planned on it." And he said, "I'm not telling you what it is. It's between me and the coach, and we'll use it again when we play him again this season." So. You know, we're looking forward to see if he can if he can carry that out, and I think that's that sort of plan he's going to have to have for for Sean Wayne and, and that Wigan side with the, with the explosive players like you say that they've got in that team. Yeah, that's the thing with Wigan; um, they've got that ability. Williams is obviously a class player. Um, people like Marshall, have, have, Marshall and Burgess are hugely dangerous on the left. Gildart's a fantastic. I like Gildart. He's a, oh, he's a fantastic he's a quality player. player. We had him on loan, didn't we, a few yeah, years ago? And you could see, even I think he was only like eighteen, nineteen at the time, maybe eighteen. And you could see that touch of class about him, that that touch of quality, and you, you could tell he's going to be a real gem. But they're still only young; they're still young, aren't they? You yeah. know, what I mean, in this pressure cooker atmosphere of a semi-final, you know, yeah, they've you also find a real character, don't you, in, in yourself? What really. we're going to have got as well is, you know, they, they all play for the coach. I mean, the, the, uh, what Sean Wayne's achieved there over the years, uh, fantastic as far as I'm concerned. And they've got that strength and belief, and. They, they talk about the Wigan way, the Wigan systems. All those lads have come through the system. They all play the same way. They, it's going to be a, a tough game, but I, I, I think Salford have got the best chance they've ever had of going to Wembley. Which I think, I think actually uh, playing at Warrington's an advantage as well. If it played at Lee, um, I think Wigan would have preferred. To, we've not got to... the best record at Lee either. We've no. lost quite a few games at the Lee Sports <laughs> Village. Wigan have never particularly liked going to Warrington. Um, I, I think that might work in Salford's favour a little bit, that ground. I think at, at the Sports Village, I think it would have been easier for, for Wigan Summer. He gets all excited here to say things like that. <laughs> it's written in the stars. <laughs> yeah, it'd just be brilliant, wouldn't it? Let's, he certainly would. You know, you look back at um, like Lance Todd's time at, uh, at Salford. Funnily enough, I was just looking back the other day. Um, Rugby League Cares did this book on Rugby League Heroes the, a few years ago. Um, and I was asked to do the chapter on Lance Todd. Um, what an amazing character he was! I think, I think he'll be uh, looking down um, from up above. Uh, you know, you go back to thirty-eight, thirty-nine when Salford played at Wembley, and, and Todd kind of built a team that, over the course of ten years, it rose from the, the depths of rugby league to one of the. Makes you wonder what would have happened, but for the war intervening. Uh, I mean, we're digressing now, but. What an amazing character Lance Todd was. I, he, um, I always think of him when you go if you go past Wigan Little Theatre. Um, Wigan won the Lancashire Cup for the first time, and he was the captain in 1908. And they had a celebration dinner in Wigan that, that night, but he was unable to attend the dinner uh, because he was the uh, lead part in a play at Wigan Little Theatre. Oh, wow. Can you imagine that now? <laughs> oh, sorry, I can't come to the Challenge Cup because I'm, I'm playing. Uh, he, he had a, a restaurant. Uh, he was a master tailor. He trailed. He trained at Savile Row. He had a stalker who um, who stalked him everywhere and tried to um, uh, throw him under a railway train, uh, a train once at the station. And this guy eventually got arrested and, and put in prison. Um, and then scratch golfer. Um, he, he left rugby league uh, to. Uh, to be the professional and uh, the secretary at South Shore Golf Club in Blackpool uh, for about 10 years and, and suddenly came back to Rugby League when Salford advertised for a manager uh, he'd been lost to the game for, for years he was a visionary he, he sort of put forward the ideas of, of summer rugby sort of in the early 30s long before anyone else he, you know it just, a lot of people dismissed his ideas you know preponderous an incredible visionary um, he was he was also the very first, um, he was a member of the New Zealand side uh, that came over here, the old goals, and he was the very first player uh, to sign professional forms. He, he signed for Wigan uh, for £100. But what he also did, he was very clever. He, a lot of players, once you'd signed, you were with that club for the rest of your career. But he only ever signed on for a season. So it meant that every time Wigan wanted to re-sign him, they then had to come up with a, a lump sum for him. And there was one year... He, uh, he he couldn't agree terms with Wigan, so he um, uh, he held a meeting. He hired the Cooperative Hall in Wigan, and two thousand uh, Wigan fans came, and he, he explained to them why he was leaving. Imagine a player doing that now. <laughs> he, he went back to New Zealand for a few months, 
and eventually they conducted negotiations by cable gram and then uh, he came back to, to England uh, sailed back into uh, um, into London and the Wigan directors on block went down to London to meet him off the off the ship uh, they took him to Drury Lane Theatre and uh, took him out for a, a meal around London and before he signed on the dotted line to come back for Wigan to Wigan and, and when he came back to Wigan that day all the the streets were sort of thronged with uh, thousands and thousands of Wigan fans uh, all sort of welcoming him back um, he transferred a lot of that magic to Salford uh, you know during his time there as secretary manager so got a little feeling you know Salford Wigan Lance Todd uh, great player of Wigan great manager at Salford uh, I just got a little feeling that yeah. Maybe we'll have a little whisper into, into yeah. it. Yeah. Put, like, put Todd on and he'll mean Carney. Yeah. And he'll score a winner. He'll drop I, a goal. Put your money on that. Yeah, I just got this little feeling that uh, Lance Todd might have something to do with that semi final. Might be wrong, but maybe it's just me being a, a dewy eyed old romantic. But uh, I just got a feeling that. And the spirit of 96 as well, let's not forget, you know, ending Wigan's, Wigan's Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Like we that, I mean, that was one of the. That was an amazing game. That's probably one of the best, the best games I've been to. That I mean, Mark Lee had probably his best ever game in Salford Shirt that, well that day. Yeah. Scott yeah. Naylor, I thought. Scott was Naylor, yeah. That day, he lost his boot and still scored. Vastly underrated player, Scott Very Naylor. Player, yeah. I still follow his coaching career. I mean, he's doing it tough at Oldham, isn't he? But he, 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 he does brilliantly with the resources you've got. Um, yeah. Scott Naylor, good player. Scott I think there was Naylor. a lot of unsung sort of heroes in that around that time. Whether you touched on the '97 team before, you know, guys like Darren Rogers. I rated yeah. him really highly. I thought he was a fantastic winger for us. You know, we, you look at really... what, you know. I think the biggest thing that's happened to rugby league wingers is uh, bringing the corner flag into yeah into play. Just imagine how much any more tries Darren Rogers would have scored because some of the tries that you see now uh, wingers scoring, uh, like Greg Eden scores. Rogers was such an uh, athletic and acrobatic player he would have really benefited from that rule or somebody like Lee you know Lee Warrington ex-player Des Drummond now yeah. he got on with it with a corner flag I mean he was a great finisher then back in those days and oh, I mean Des Drummond I mean you look back you just mentioned his name now it sounds like uh, yeah you know a thrill uh, down his spine just there's something about Des Drummond when he had the ball the, the crowds kind of hushed it, it must have been like watching uh some of the great players in the 30s or the 20s that you read about the way the, the way he had just this explosive pace off the mark uh, the way he just used to he was fearless incredible athlete absolutely fearless I mean uh, his brother his late brother uh, actually preceded him into the league side and uh, he was a bit slight in stature very fast but not physically enough mm-hmm. And uh, one day they were playing at Wigan, uh, sorry, they were playing at Barrow in an A-team game and Des just came along for the ride and uh, he was more into judo in those days and he, he worked as a, uh, an engineer in Bolton and uh, Lee was suddenly short and he had to play, so they, they asked him to play, so he played, scored a hat-trick and uh, Brian Bowman, who uh, the club president now, he uh, he wanted to sign him, and none of the other directors uh, were keen on signing him because they thought that because Alva hadn't been a, a great success, that Des wouldn't be either. So um, Brian gave him fifty pounds out of his own pocket to to sign for Lee, and probably the uh, best fifty pounds he'd ever spend. You're far too young to remember, but in the in the seventies he had a, a, a thing called uh, Superstars on BBC television, and you'd never see it now, but you'd have top sports people from different. Uh, sports and they would all uh, compete in all sorts of different events. David Vine and David Coleman used to do it. They'd be sprinting, uh, basketball, all different sports. And Drummond uh, was in that. Keith Fielding was in it with yeah. great success as well. And that really raised it, it. It showed the rest of the country, the rest of the world, what fantastic athletes we are. And it really raised the the, uh, the the way rugby league was viewed. Just fantastic. I'm going to put you on the spot now, mate. Um, could you tell me your, not not so much your best but your favourite player to wear the Lee shirt your favourite player to wear a Salford shirt and your all time favourite rugby league player uh, well all it's time. a hard question to ask you that just yeah, off the spot all time rugby league player has got to be John Woods mm. I mean John Woods just had everything uh, I remember his, his debut you could just tell straight away that you know when someone I just got that star quality. He almost played 
he almost played the game like in a dinner jacket or in his own bubble. It it, it created space where there was no no space. He just had a calmness. He just did every he just did everything um, brilliantly. Uh, he was an incredibly brave player as well. People often forget that rugby league was a brutal game in those days. People like Woods would always be targeted as a key player. But he never flinched, he always put his body on the line. And defensively, there were a few better tacklers than John Woods. The way He, you know, he had a very unique um, tackling style, the way he used to drag players down. A really economical way of playing rugby league. He used to glide over the turf, um, over five, ten yards, the way he used to create space. A lot of the time, uh, it was the old five-metre rule, not the ten-metre rule. He had to create a lot more space uh, in those days. The way the way he, uh, he did that was just fantastic, really. Brilliant goal kicker, completely nerveless player, never got uh, worked up about a game, modest. Went, went on with great success to play, loved at Warrington uh, and Bradford. Uh, had a really successful time at, at Rochdale. Uh, really enjoyed his time at Rochdale. Came back to play for Lee at a time they were struggling, but finished his career with Lee. Uh, went uh, and broke the old Jimmy Leggard's all-time point-scoring record. Yeah, I mean John Woods for me. Still see him now. He comes to all the games. Statue outside, which was a huge credit to um, the Past Players Association, Jason Donahue and uh, his colleagues, the way they funded that and got that done. Um, John Woods, yeah, the best player I've ever seen. Epitomised everything right about rugby league. When he's when he finished the game, his cap size was still the same size as when he started. Never got pig-headed. Um, yeah, so I would I would say uh, John Woods. Favourite Salford player? Well, I mean, some fantastic players I've had the privilege of watching, really. Um, I'd probably say Paul Charlton. <sighs> Tell us about Paul Charlton. Well, as Cumbrian, he, he was kind of wiry, uh, he was quite well built, but wiry, tough. He was built. He was built to play rugby league. Um, he just had an amazing ability to read the game. Brave defensively, positional sense spot on. Um, great hands, great tackling technique. The way he used to join the line. Fullbacks one of the, probably one of the most important positions on a field. Not only when you're attacking, but defensively, the way you organise the defensive. Uh, defence in front of you but also that ability to know when to join the line when to make that extra man and with that great Salford side if you had uh, Nash if you've got Nash and Gill as your halfbacks you've got Watkins and Hesketh as your centres you've got a reasonably good chance as a full back but uh, Charlton really he was fantastic in that side and then the way he used to link up with the wingers you had Fielding on one side Maurice Richards on the other the way he'd link into the into the attack I can remember now standing under the scratching shed watching Charlton join the line and suddenly creating that overlap on the left or that overlap on the right because he, he'd pop up on both sides of the field really unselfish I mean if the gap was there he'd go for it uh, but more often than not he'd create he'd, he'd create that opportunity for Watkins or Hesketh to put the wingers over in the corner he just loved rugby league and um, I knew him later when he was coach uh, at Carlisle. He went. He was coach at Carlisle and, uh, for for a, a spell. And his son Gary, um, I think Gary was coached to Egremont uh, till recently. Paul now lives in Australia, but he used to to ring me up. Um, I was I was doing some stuff for League Express in those days, and he used to cover uh, the national leagues, and he used to ring Paul up every uh, every week for a chat, the latest team news, and. He'd ring me back and we'd talk for hours about rugby league and uh, I think just his enthusiasm, his his knowledge. Yeah, special player. A lot of special players Salford have had over the years. Been, you know, really, really fortunate. And Peter Edwards, I, he was one of my favourites. Didn't play at Salford all that long, Kiwi hooker. Just epitomised everything about, uh, you know, what a fantastic player he was. He, he, you'd fancy him if you were playing against Wigan. I remember actually he played... Uh, when he beat Wigan Norman away in, in 97, Peter Edwards was playing that day, or both days. He was a great player. 
Yeah, so many great players at Salford, but yeah, Paul Charlton probably for me. One of my favourites, and you, you, I think you touched on him before, Steve Blakeley. I mean, I didn't see the, the 70s teams, but he was magic to watch, you know, just in the, in the mid-90s there, and he's still a, still a lovely lad now. And uh, Yeah, he came from Lee, uh, yeah. graduated through the Wigan ranks, never quite, he, he played a few first-team games. He doesn't look any different now, does he? No, he doesn't. He, <laughs> no. he, he, was, he was a nerveless goal-kicker as well, wasn't he? Fantastic kicker. Yeah. He played in a little bit of a bubble, didn't he, Steve? He always created his own Fantastic space. Fantastic sidestep. Yeah. Pace off the mark as well. Yeah, he always, he always had that. He always had that. He found space on a rugby field, composure. I don't think Steve ever realised how good he was. He's I really was, not his sort of life. I was devastating. I remember my dad going home from work and telling me, I think it was on the radio, that he'd, he'd left and, and gone to Warrington. And he yeah. didn't last there long. I think he only stayed six months and then he came back. No, there's certain players, you, you only... Um, you're only good at one particular yeah. club, aren't you? I think that probably applied to him and Scott Naylor, really. I mean, yes. Scott did well for Bradford, didn't he? But Mark Lee was another good player, wasn't he? Just loved rugby league. Not that by his own admission, he won't be the most talented player who ever played rugby league, but in that Salford side, he was just a perfect fit. Converted himself from hooker to halfback. And, uh, Even though he wasn't a local sort of Salford boy, you sort of speak to him now. We, we spoke to him on the podcast yeah. and he... He epitomises Salford and yeah. he still refers to Salford as that his passion. Team. Yeah, he's got a brain as well. Was it forty nine drop goals he did for Salford or something? He dropped like two against Adelaide Rams. Yeah, he was, oh, I remember that. Challenged, didn't he? Yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah. yeah, he was a good player, Matt Lee. I suppose you don't get many of them, do you? Really, you know, sort of the ability to to make things happen like that. No, he uh, he writes about even though he was from St Helens, he he loved Salford, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely epitomised it. Um, you can just speak to him now. You can, those memories of the Salford side of the mid nineties. He played in the cup win over Wigan. Come flooding back. Um, I suppose that could be a, that. This could happen again, couldn't it? Like this team could go through that same passage, but hopefully get through the semi rather than get beat. But you know that could be the that could be the moment the for these players. The where the well, you look at it. You, you look at the way. I, mean, I think Salford in the past uh, twenty years really. I've never really planned beyond the season, have they? And a lot of players have been on short-term contracts, a lot have left. What, what Ian Watson and Ian Blees and people at Salford are doing now is, to me as an outsider, it looks like they're laying the foundations for the future and that they're, uh, they're keeping the better players, the younger players, putting them on long-term contracts and building, building a side, really, that will hopefully, you know, stick the core of the side will hopefully stay together uh, for a time and then... You know, bringing players around them, but if you've got the core of a side that, that stays together, you, you you've got a real chance. And I, I think uh, Salford is certainly doing that and laying the foundations. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for speaking. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Mike. And we wish everyone at least enjoys all the best for the rest of the season. We hope you can you can stay up this season. But it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Oh, great and great, you know, to meet you guys and all the work you do for rugby league and. Uh, you can rest assured I'll be, uh, I'll be cheering you on against Wigan. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. a lot. Cheers, mate. Thanks.